I am especially excited for our arts therapist because that was something that I wanted to go into. Um, so yeah, thank you for everybody watching on the live and thank you for everybody on the panel. Super excited. Um, Lori, what be it you say? She's at work. Okay, folks. Um, I'm here. Oh, okay. There we go. <laughs> um, folks, welcome to our what? Oof. Our 20th event, probably, for Black History Month. Uh, I am truly, my name is Corey McCarthy, uh, once again, Vice Principal Everett High School. I'm joined with the members of the Empowering Young Black Excellence Club. Um, and tonight was a very special night for, our, for, for me personally, as well as the Everett community and our students. Uh, we are joined by six uh, very influential um, Black um, adults who are, who are doing phenomenal things in their field. Um, definitely role models that our, our students could look up to, no matter what color, race, ethnicity. Um, and I, I, I just want to um, give them a, a huge shout out before I, we allow them to um, sort of introduce themselves. Uh, Ms. Jones and then Ms. Walls. Hi, everyone. Thank you for being here today. Um, I'm really excited to hear your stories and for you all to share your stories with our students. Um, I know that they are all looking forward to hearing from you all. Um, so thank you for taking the time out of your day. Um, just to add to that, hi everyone, um, I'm Miss Walls. I'm a guidance counselor at Everett High School. Um, I just wanna say thank you to you all for taking the time out of your days to be here with us. Our kids are super excited. We're actually, I don't know if Mr. McCarthy said this already, but we're streaming this live on YouTube. So the community is also available to watch it with us. Um, so this is really exciting. Um, this is like our 20th, maybe more event of the month. Um, but I'm really excited for today's event. Um, and I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about each of you all and your careers. So um, let's get started. All right, great. Um, so um, our, the club founder, uh, Lori Pierre, she's, you know, like we are, we are very much keeping it real here. Um, and she's keeping it real, she's at her job. Um, she's hustling. She's going to Howard. So she's getting, she's getting it done no matter what. And that's the kind of hustle and grind that I believe that our, our kids need. So with that being said, uh, Mr. Nwusu, Charles Nwusu, I hope I said it right. Uh, please uh, take, uh, bless us and introduce yourself. Tell us about uh, what you do for a living. Um, and, and, and please um, take your time to kick us off tonight. You got to unmute. I think you might have to, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just, yeah. So how much time do I have? Um, well, it's, it's your introduction and then we'll get to the questioning. Okay. All right. So um, my name is um, Charles Mwosu, originally from um, West Africa, Nigeria, to be precise. Um, came to the United States about 14 years um, to get my PhD. And after my PhD, I found myself working for Takeda Pharmaceutical and... I've been working for Takeda Pharmaceutical for since 2014. I am currently a senior scientist. So basically what I do is um, cancer research and cancer drug development and things like that. So I help the company, you know, talk to the FDA to get drugs approved for patients. Thanks. Thank you. Um, I, appreciate, I appreciate that. Uh, Ms. Bryan. Unmute. 
Okay, I got you, I think. Okay, um, well, I'm Kim, I'm an art therapist. I'm originally from Barbados, um, but I think I, I'm a bit of a I, person who kind of moves around. So I did college in the US. And then I did my uh, master's in the UK, uh, studied art therapy. I kind of got into art therapy a little bit by, by chance, really, because I started out doing an undergrad in art education. So I was actually a teacher first. And as a teacher, I kind of had all these experiences with kids and it kind of went into me wanting to do something a little more meaningful. And so I got into art therapy. And from there, it's just really been working in different community projects. I worked a lot in schools um, in the UK. I worked um, recently a lot with refugee populations. And now I'm working more with survivors of domestic violence um, in Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah. Wow. Thank, thank you for that. Miss Adrian. Hi everyone, um, my name is Gorelli Adrian. I'm originally from Everett, um, so this is my hometown. I am the first black Haitian American city councilor at large. I'm also a small business owner with my husband. Uh, we own an ice cream shop in Somerville. And I'm also a finance manager at a hospital in Massachusetts. Um, I got my undergraduate from Bentley University um, in business management and accounting. And I have my MBA um, from Boston University. Thank you for that. Uh, Mr. Irving? Ah, you gotta unmute yourself. <laughs> you gotta unmute yourself, Billy. Hold on. Milton, you can't hear it. You gotta unmute yourself. Unmute, there we go. All right, there you go, brother. All right, right, of course the tech guy will forget to unmute. <laughs> um, so born in Boston, raised in Florida and Georgia, and then end up moving back to, to Massachusetts or to Boston. Uh, went to Northeastern University, um, also went to Marist College, St. Francis University, um, social work, got my MSW as well. Uh, from there, floating into politics, um, worked under the Obama administration um, for a number of years. Um, and now I run a technology foundation in partnership with the city. Also, I am a spokesman for NASA and Microsoft on STEM education. Okay, Mr. Sade. Sade, sorry. I grew up with this brother and I messed up his last name. Like literally grew up with this brother. <laughs> yeah, we've known each other since we were what, 15? Yeah, probably younger than that. <laughs> yeah, so I'm happy for you guys. So um, thank you everyone um, for having this panel. This is your 20th event, as you mentioned. That's a pretty big accomplishment and it uh, shows a lot of commitment. Um, I too, like many of you, son of immigrants, I uh, came to this country when I was six years old. Uh, I was born in Haiti, uh, grew up in Boston, went to the Murphy School, uh, went to O'Brien for high school, went to UMass Amherst alongside Corey um, for college and um, graduated with an economics degree, uh, which was, it, it kind of fell into my lap I knew for a long time I wanted to be in business. It was either business or education. So with that said, I got a job out of college making not a lot and compared to my peers, but I really wanted to learn a lot about the stock market and personal finance was always instilled in me um, from my mom and dad. 
So fast forward 20 years now, managing director of an investment banking firm uh, called In Capital. I live here in Florida now. And, you know, my passion is just to teach still, right? And I, and I tell everybody, and Corey knows this, like I'm in this business to get out of this business. Uh, my passion projects, um, as of right now, uh, I opened up a school in Haiti in 2017. So we're going on our third, going on our fourth year now. So uh, paying it forward, you know, people talk about Wall Street as if, you know, we're greedy, et cetera. But I think there are a lot of good hearts. Um, and I think the focus uh, and what everyone, what I try to instill in everyone is just always, always, you know, think ahead and be passionate, whatever you like and whatever you desire, because um, it will come to fruition. I won't ramble on. I know this was supposed to be the intro, so I'm sorry. Go <laughs> it's, it's all good. Uh, we appreciate that. Ms. Wenyu. Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Chiatogu Onyu, I go by Chi. Um, and I am happy to be here and talk to everybody. I am not in Boston. Um, my only attachment to Boston is Corey, I guess. And I, I did go to school for one semester in Waltham at uh, Brandeis. Um, so my background is I fell in love with science when I was probably in seventh grade with life sciences and um, also got enamored by my pediatrician knowing everything whenever we went to her. So um, naturally I gravitated towards science in school. I ended up, um, you know, oftentimes was told you have to choose. I decided not to choose. I went on and got an MD and a PhD from Duke University. Um, I went to college at, uh, sorry, Un University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and then went on to get to graduate school. Um, I've had a couple of stints of different places since graduating. Um, Notably, I went to uh, DC and worked at a hospital where I ran some uh, clinical trials, went on to work in the government at NHI, uh, NIH, sorry, um, the NHLVI, so the Heart, Lung and Blood Institute, working with um, guide, clinical guidelines around cardiovascular disease um, and learning about health disparities. Um, I also was able to um, direct a nonprofit that was focused on promoting health in young people and um, most recently and currently, I have um, been at Regeneron Pharmaceuticals in uh, Terrytown, New York, where I lead a team of um, scientists who help to manage um, a lot of work around new modalities and um, technologies to uh, treat disease. So ranging from a wide variety of uh, some of the latest scientific innovations um, and I'm really passionate about science and really about increasing our pipeline of scientists. Um, there's not a lot of diversity in science, um, or at least not, not notable, not in a lot of spaces within science. And that's kind of um, something I really hope to change. Um, and I got a lot of mentorship throughout my training that I think was critical. So I'm really into paying that forward and happy to be here because um, well, Corey asked me, on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Thank you. Thank you. That thank you for throwing me under the bus. It's okay. Um, so, you know, I I'm a little bit like overwhelmed by the amount of um, the range of uh, of not one the careers, um, two the you know black folks are just not centered on a slave ship, right? Black folks are centered. Um, everywhere, sprinkled everywhere, uh, West Indians, uh, West African, um, North African, 
um, from being from a, a, a country, uh, countries in the African. Oh wait, country. yes, that's right. I'm Nigerian. Yes, I, I, I was wondering why you said that, but it's okay. My bad. Uh, <laughs> I was born in the states, but both my parents are immigrants. I'm full-blooded. I, I saw you, Mr. Wilson. <laughs> my, my, my my cousin's you have my cousin's last name. Sorry. <laughs> so so it just it just really speaks to uh, for our audience. Really, um, you know, black is just not it, it's, it's not centered in on the on blue alive or or just in america um the term african um means means a lot more it carries um a lot more weight than than you believe um and i i'm so thankful that folks are here so we could start this and and carry on with the conversation they all got wonderful stories i'm truly overwhelmed and honored uh, but i'm gonna kick it to miss walls and she's gonna uh, start with a with a question uh with her question and she's gonna tag you and, and, and who the question is directed at. That way folks, folks would, would, um, will have the opportunities to, um, to answer. Perfect. Um, thank you guys first for sharing your stories. That was great. Um, so we do have a list of questions that are um, from our students that are really interested in the different careers that you guys are um, involved in. Um, and the first question, this is actually gonna go to Miss Adrian Gurley. Um, so, one of the questions we have is what made you interested in becoming a city councilor? Yeah, um, so um, I tell the same story. Um, I grew up in Everett and for a long time, Everett was dominated by Italians and Irish. And when I was 10 years old, um, I would read the local newspapers and I would read about these people who would make these like government decisions. And um, at the time, um, my mother was struggling with some bills and I said, mom, I said, who can help you? And who can help families like you who are struggling? And she said, it's the people that you read about in the newspaper. And so I would say, okay, I'm gonna be that person. I'm gonna be a city counselor. Um, and so I focused my whole life on running for office. So originally I was gonna go to law school. I went to Temple University down in Philly, uh, studied pre-law, interned at a prosecutor's office, realized how much I did not wanna be the person who was putting black men to jail and decided that I was gonna do a whole different career path into business and fell in love with money and entrepreneurship. Um, and then from there, I, you know, I've done a lot of different things. I've worked on Wall Street in New York. I came back to Philadelphia to run a campaign. And in Philly, I got to see on the ground how important local issues were, uh, particularly when it came to the schools, when it came to um, home ownership and just black leadership. And I said, I had to come back to Everett and make sure I run. And so uh, a few years ago, came back to Everett and decided that I had to run. I had to change the leadership um, and, and be loud about issues that I knew that the community needed. And particularly when I ran for the city council, I always say the same story. Um, when I ran, I ran because I was upset. I was upset at the current leaders on some of the decisions that they were making. And it was frustrating me. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna run just to get them angry. And surprisingly, I won. And that we always joke about it, how we decided to run just to get them upset to listen to the community. And then when I ran, it was like, oh man, now they're really gonna be upset. But that's how it came about. Thank you. Um, and to follow up with that, I feel like you kind of started tying it in. 
Um, I want to know, like, what are some of the challenges that you faced um, during that? Or even like today, what are some of the challenges that you're facing today? Uh, well, um, as m most of you guys have heard, um, within 10 months in office, my colleagues wanted me to resign from my seat. Um, they didn't like the ideas. They thought I was too aggressive. Um, and they just didn't like my personality. Um, before I was inaugurated on January 4th, I was told by one of my council colleagues that if I don't change my personality, they're going to make sure that my life during my council tenure was going to be miserable. And so every single day, that's what they have tried to do. And um, but what I realized is that I, I truly love this work. I love fighting for our people, uh, particularly black and brown communities. Um, I just realized how much decisions continue to be made um, without us. And it's frustrating because I feel like um, I'm the only one up there. Some people may disagree, but backroom deals, uh, backroom decisions that I have seen and played out, it's just really unfair and it's, it's tough. Um, being the only and the first. Um, and sometimes I just, you know, wake up and don't want to do this, but that's some of the challenges. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I was actually my next question. Um, you, you answered it. Um, I was going to ask, like, what is your experience like being a woman of color in this position? Yeah. You're muted. Oh, you're muted. I think, uh, thank you. Um, it's funny because I always say like, I didn't run to be a black woman, right? I didn't run to be a Haitian American woman. I ran because of my experience of my corporate America nonprofit and small business experience. Um, and I continuously bring up, okay, yes, I was the first black woman, um, but I see the issues, particularly in the black and brown communities that are so crucially important. And I try really hard to bring that to the forefront. And so what I realize as a black woman, I get labeled as aggressive. And, and I also say this, like, if you actually met me and had a conversation with me, I think I'm absolutely very sweet. I don't curse. I've never gotten into a fight with a person, but they like to label me as this aggressive, too bold black woman who goes around, uses the race card, who thinks she could do whatever she want. Um, I mean, recently one of our leaders says that I like to point my finger and called me ignorant. And I'm just so shocked by these type of language towards me. And it's just, it's tough because I feel like because I'm the only black woman, I'm getting this type of treatment. And I don't know how, um, I wrote an, a recent op-ed in the Boston Globe about, yes, I am a black woman and I belong here. And if you can continue to label and treat me differently, but you know what, I'm not going anywhere. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Ms. Jones, you can go ahead. McCarthy, did you have anything to add there? Yes. Um, I'm. Thank you for that, uh, Ms. Adrian. Um, I'm going to jump over to Kim really quick. Uh, Ms. Bryan, so I saw, that, I saw that your part of art therapy is really um, involves you working with uh, victims of domestic violence and, and child abuse. What, what, it, what has inspired you to do that um, and, and to do that work? And, and what sort of outcomes do you usually receive when you do that? What, I know art is beautiful, right? And, and what are some of the outcomes that you are seeing that continue to inspire you? Okay, well, I think it really started from when I was small. And I think it has a lot to do with my mom um, because when I was growing up, she used to um, engage me in a lot of 
charity work, going to children's homes, um, working with children who had different challenges. And I think over time, I just became really interested in, in working with kids and in particular, children or persons who had challenges. So as I kind of morphed into <laughs> to my career because it was really a morphine because I am an artist and I started out really, really passionate about art. And then I kind of ended up being a teacher and I didn't really like teaching. I liked teaching, but I thought it was kind of repetitive. And I felt like I wanted to do more and I wanted to contribute more to the, the children who I was interfacing with every day because they would come to me with different challenges. So I kind of developed that. And um, so in the work, what I find happens is art is kind of special and I, and I choose art because I think it's very close to our soul. Um, as a people in general, we're very artistic, although we don't really engage with it as much as I think we should or we could. Um, and a lot of times because of our cultural uh, issues around expression and um, biases or stigma in relation to mental health, we find it really hard to talk about things that bother us. So I found the art really useful in breaking down those barriers and um, really helpful in bridging the gap. And in terms of population with children, it's really great because children don't have a lot of hangups that adults have. And so when you engage with children in art, you get these fantastic, amazing um, things happening and children are so open. They, they're able to express their feelings. They're able to share. And because they're able to do that, I'm able to meet them where they are and kind of impart whatever it is that they need in whatever way I can. And we kind of work through that process. With adults, it's a little different, but also very useful because I feel like because we have all of these um, blocks about mental health and challenges and stuff, when um, I work with people using the art, usually it's kind of like, oh, we can do this. We can talk about this. It's not as bad as I thought it was. And I feel like it's really helped people to process things that they normally wouldn't process if we were just like sitting down having conversations. Um, so in, in every aspect that I've used it, I've found it has been a way to really break down barriers, work with people who normally wouldn't engage with mental health in, in even situations where their language barriers, uh, cultural barriers. Um, it's just been kind of like amazing how art is able to kind of bridge the gaps. Thank you. Ms. Jones? Oh, actually, can I ask a quick question right before you go, Ms. Jones? Sorry to interrupt. Um, what are some ways, I'm sorry, Ms. Bryan, what are some ways that I guess like students or even like teachers would be able to incorporate um, this art therapy like into the classroom or even just like your everyday lives. Okay, so um, art is really good for self-care. And I realized that in the pandemic, a lot of people have actually been using art just to self-care. 
um, whether it's just creating art or sharing art, looking at art, listening to music, those kinds of things, they kind of bring a release and, and I find overall very helpful. In the classroom, engaging in our activities period is useful. And for me, I think art should always be a part of any curriculum because Art helps with creative thinking, with self-expression, building self-esteem, and so many other skills that children need to develop, to process things in life. And I find that when children have art in their curriculum and they can explore and learn how to create and um, work with challenges because sometimes it always doesn't come out how you anticipate but if you can be a creative thinker then it makes it easier for you to adjust to some of the challenges in life I mean that's a, a bit more abstract but it is the reality in how we see things it's, it's different from a very kind of static way of teaching children or um, learning so you you can think more outside the box and that's why I think art is important incorporate. Need I mention she's from my country. <laughs> Barbados so always always has to be represented. Africa Barbados, <laughs> United States. We're, we're very much here. Go ahead, Ms. Jones. Um, so Charles, I'm gonna move on to you. Um, so I believe your your title on the flyer was a senior scientist. So um, myself and our students, we're just kind of wondering more exactly what specifically that might look like, um, either in a day-to-day -day or just in general, um, what that looks like in your life and maybe how you got there, what your steps were in making your way up to being a senior scientist. Um, excuse me for a second, Charles. Keep in mind, black brother, scientist, rare breed. Appreciate you, Charles, let's go. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I so where I started um, um, bachelor's from Nigeria, and then I got to the United States for my PhD. Thankfully, it was you know full scholarship, and then towards the end of my PhD, my professor spoke to me about you know um, biotech, and you know um, I he really sold it you know to me, and I you know started focusing on biotech, you know protein chemistry, mass spec, and things like that. And I, I did an internship towards the end of my PhD. And I remember that my mentor then in grad school, UC Davis, told me this was going to be, you know, my career. And she was right because I started as an intern with Takeda San Francisco and then ended up with Takeda in Cambridge. And, you know, that's um, when I got to Cambridge, I started um, as a scientist and got promoted after I, I think about three years and I became a senior scientist. So that's how I started, you know, grad school, internship, scientist, and then a senior scientist. Okay. Um, can I actually, ask, can I ask a follow-up question for that one? Um, so I was wondering, um, what advice would you give to students um, that might be interested in like science, STEM, um, that might be, I guess, interested in becoming also too a scientist in the future. Um, what would you recommend um, they do or any advice that you might have for them? Yeah, I mean, so I, I um, originally wanted to- Can I ask you a follow-up question for that one? Sure. Oh. <laughs> 
so can I go? Yeah, continue. Okay. So I wanted to be a medical doctor, but then, you know, I didn't like, you know, the sight of blood and, you know, the hospital and stuff like that. So the next, you know, closest thing to it was, you know, in biotech or, you know, pharmaceutical making drugs for patients because I felt that was one other way I could help, you know, patients. So that's how I go here. And, you know, my my message would be, you know, go for it. You know, I came from a very, you know, poor background, you know, from Africa and it never stopped my dream. I knew I had an idea where I wanted to be and I just went for it. And there were obstacles, you know, especially when I came here, they called the difference in culture, I was trying to fit in. I couldn't fit in, you know. It, it was very tough, you know, in addition to, you know, getting a PhD, I was struggling with, you know, the other extra things. And, you know, I just got focused and, you know, um, you know, I thank God, you know, for, you know, seeing me through. So it wasn't that easy, but, you know, uh, I think focus was, was huge for me. I was very focused and I kept on, um, like I, uh, I was very focused on the goal, the end goal. It was always the end goal, the end goal. Like personally, I knew I wanted to get that PhD, you know, doctor, you know, because of that medical thing. Like, okay, I was going to be a medical doctor. I will be a doctor. So I knew I needed to get a PhD. And then once I got that PhD, I was okay, what's next? Then the next goal was making sure I could, you know, be a part of this group that would come up with the next big drug for patients, you know, and, you know, we make drugs for, you know, a, a wide variety of, you know, um, ailments, you know, um, cancer, you know, um, MS, you know, um, rare diseases in kids, you know, that's something again, you know, I'm getting involved, you know, some, you know, some diseases, you know, we've never even heard of, we don't even know what they are and we're being taxed to, you know, come up with this drug to, you know, help these kids, you know, these um, drugs, you're trying to get into the brain of kids and you don't even know how those drugs can even get into them. You know, sometimes I just step back and I'm like, dude, like you're from Africa. Like, you know, how did you get here? So, but again, it's that focus. It's just paying attention to what's most important. And, you know, I think that has helped me get to where I am. And to follow up on that, and to, thank you. Oh. And to follow up on that, um, Chi, in, as, as a um, African, American woman, literally, right? Um, what is in your field and the amount of ladders that you just keep climbing, like legitimately, um, you know, you've always been going, achieving where people didn't think you can. Um, you have worked tirelessly to continuously climb the ladder. What is the message that you are giving you want to give to young black women who want to one um, go into STEM, um, and how? Why do you think that representation is important at this point? Sure. Um, I mean, I think first Charles and I have a similarity in that being Nigerian, education has always been super important and and stressed just growing up. Um, in a in a way, I think culturally that's just kind of the norm. Um, but that being said, I, I, I wasn't always in environments where the expectation was that um, for me. Um, but I think I, when I introduced myself, I started my story with what I fell in love with. So I think passion around something is always really critical and key. And the, 
what we, what we can do for those who aren't in situations where their passion is being nurtured is to do just what we're doing now, right? To talk to folks, to talk to kids, students, and encourage them to um, continue towards whatever they feel passionate about, because I think that's the first key. Um, and then I've always had a mentality of what's yours is yours, right? So if there's something that I, um, I thought was doable or I, I wanted to achieve, I, I didn't really, I, I guess I'm competitive, but I was never competitive in that, um, always happy for others to succeed as well. And I, I went to a college and was in a program, I don't know if folks um, on this call are aware, but there's a program that was started back in, I think, 1988 um, at University of Maryland, Baltimore County, called the Meyerhoff program, Meyerhoff Scholars Program. And it was an idea um, of the president at the time and still is Dr. Freeman Orbowski um, to ascend and, and an anthro, uh, um, uh, 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 someone in the community who had not seen a lot of African-American males in science. And so they basically got together and the decision was we're going to create uh, black male PhDs. So they started this program and after the first year, they opened it up to women. Um, I won't tell my age, but I was in the program when it was still single digits. Um, it's now in its like 32nd year. And why that was so critical for me was um, I went to school in a section, I grew up in Maryland outside of DC and where I went to school um, was predominantly white. And so there wasn't a huge expectation of the students in the high school that I went to that were black um, of achieving. But we had some black guidance counselors, bless them, because they made sure those who you know, had potential and showed potential were in the right places at the right time. And I got nominated for that scholarship by my guidance counselor. So again, reaching back and the importance of culturing and um, fostering, nurturing passion. Um, and that changed, that changed a lot. And I already had a passion for it, but when I got to college, I was in a group, a cohort of, 45 other black, at the time it was an all black scholarship, students who some of them were valedictorians and I just hadn't seen that kind of black excellence as an 18 year old or 17 year old, whatever age I was coming out of high school. It was really motivational. And um, I mean, some of these people are like big time now, right? They're, they are, um, they're creating the rule, right? And so it's no longer an exception. Um, and they're close friends of mine. So it's just amazing with a, what an idea of really nurturing black excellence can do, like pay forward, like now, however many years or decades later. Um, so that's why programs like this that you're running and, and things that you're doing are so critical because we just never know what information we give out just telling our stories and being ourselves inspires somebody who may have had doubts or concerns about where they can get to. So that's the message that I feel like I'm, I'm given when I'm out there and talking is like, this is not, I'm not the anomaly. It's just that I had an opportunity at the time that I did. And there's way more opportunities now than when I was coming through. So absolutely what yours is, what's yours is yours. Appreciate, definitely appreciate that. Um, I, just can't believe that we're this lucky right now um, to have you guys here. Um, my next question is directed at uh, Claude and, uh, and Milton. I'll start with Milton. You know, I always think about the man in the arena, right? And you're, you're just sort of like, how did I get here, right? And I'm a black man and I, I, could, I have 
my makeup is of these few things, like these elements. Like, what is at Millennium for you? For you know, like you talk about the Obama administration, Microsoft, the whole nine. Being in that room with with folks who are are making critical decisions that affect our kids. What are some of the things that you are actively learning, or or it has taught you? Oh, that um, our voice isn't in that room uh, for the most part. Um, but I'm one of those people, I call this my digital civil rights movement that I live in right now. And um, I don't give a damn, excuse my language. Like I'm, good. <laughs> yeah, brother, like I'm in these rooms um, um, with these CEOs and, you know, presidents and vice presidents talking about, you know, how they should be thinking about um, affording access to the underserved. And they're, they're having these conversations like, why do poor people need access to the internet? Like these are real conversations that happen. And it's just, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting how they can say it so freely, right? And it's just like a, it's just a thing. Um, and so that stuff empowers me um, and it drives me to make change. Um, not just really for myself, but for the people behind me. I mean, you know me, like every young person I see, I kind of take up uh, because that, that's most important. I know it was mentioned about reaching back. Those things are extremely important to me. Um, growing up as a, just a very angry young man, black man, just angry. Um, it took me a while to, to find my stride. And if it wasn't for people who, you know, looked back and saw me and pulled me up, um, you know, I don't know where I would be, but I know this is where I belong. And I think that is the, the mindset that I try to instill in young people is that they belong. You know, they belong here. They just, they have as many rights as anyone else, no matter what the media or an individual might tell them that they belong. We've been here and we've been here. Like, people of color have been in these spaces running stuff. You might not know their names, but they've been here. And so I try to also educate folks in saying that, yes, it has not been the norm in your life to see the exposure of someone that looks like you in these spaces, but we've been in these spaces and we've helped make these spaces great. Um, so I try to instill that knowledge. And that's the same thing that I do when I'm in the boardroom, when they happen to say, you know, for a person of color, you're ex. I don't even know what that means. Like for a person of color, for a human, like what are you even talking about? And number one, my people have been in this space long before you've been in this space. And so I'm constantly having to check people and create that balance, um, which has gotten me in a lot of trouble, um, but that's okay. Um, but that's what I try to instill. And that's what I try to leave a mark every time that I'm in a boardroom and I leave that they know that, I've, that I'm present um, and that they know that my voice is gonna be heard. Well, if there's a room, if there's, if there's a trouble room, I'm I'm a frequent visitor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah. Uh, Claude, uh, Claude, you know, I, I, I've already spoke about us, you know, growing up together and everything, but, you know, adding on to that, what was, like, how does it feel to literally, I think you need to stop being a little, little humble and really get on your soapbox to talk about being in the room with, with, with stocks, with bonds and, and, and and guys who just make a ridiculous amount of money. Um, you know, one, uh, what 
what continues to inspire you to stay there and how could our kids get there? Because that's what they want to see. Like they don't think it's just like walking into ninth grade and you hear that that Bentley University is seventy thousand dollars and kids are like, hey, my my family combined is making seventy thousand dollars. So so getting there and staying there. Yeah. So I think um, overall, it's a good question. Overall, it's really for us in our community. It's really about access, right? So we can always talk about teach a man to fish. Um, but in all aspect, if I teach a man to fish and guess what, there's no pond. How do I get to the river? How do I get to the ocean? How do I get to the lake so I can fish? There's no access. What's the point, right? So then I deviate until something else. So one of the great things about us that we were fortunate enough, we had access to a mentorship program called SPES every Saturday we attended. Um, so we didn't have many guys that looked like us, but we were fortunate enough regardless to have mentors that were stockbrokers that were in different fields. And that for me, I gravitated to, right? Because I understood math, I like math. Um, and doing internships at a firm called Bear Stearns before it collapsed um, many years ago. Um, so my challenge is getting there much like many of you, Chi, Charles, Milton, being the only black person in the room. We had that in college. Once you got to a certain level of economics classes, I had to speak for every black person in the country. In, in essence, like we're talking microeconomics, we're talking elastic demand. And it's like, I can't be that voice for every single black person or black population. But I say that because as my career evolved, right? And I think there is a little bit of fear though, right? because people become uncomfortable when someone outside of their own circle comes in. And then it's like, oh, there's a little bit of disruption. So at this stage where I am now, especially after a year like last year that we had with the protests and George Floyd, one of the things that I became passionate about other than teaching is access. So I started a diversity council at my firm. And now as chairman of the diversity council, I want to make it intentional that we hire black, brown, Latino, women of color, right? Because that for me, it's not instant gratification. And what I want everyone to kind of learn when you're protesting and when you are passionate about something, be true to yourself, understand that you're not going to get the instant gratification. You're going to have to do the hard work and for that hard work, change may not come today, may not come tomorrow, but it will get there, especially if you're intentional about it. So this is why, where I'm at now, like Milton said, once you get a seat at the table, you just use that wisely and strategically and just be aware that, hey, you know what? My interns that I'm gonna hire this summer, they may not work on Wall Street for three, four years. You don't know, they may get a job and may leave. But every person that I've put on, all I asked of them is, hey, what I'm doing for you, make sure you do that for someone that looks like you as well, once you get to that point. And I think once we do that and we continue to grow that way, then you'll see the difference. I mean, it's Black History Month. We can't not talk about Malcolm and Martin. Everything that Martin Luther King did, he's seeing it come to fruition now because diversity inclusion now is a part of almost every single corporation. We have clients that won't do business unless we have some diversity on our board. And that's real. 
And this is where we're coming to. And this is the shift that everyone's been waiting for. So I think now it, it's always been about access. Like, I mean, what I do, it's intimidating, but if I teach someone, if I have someone next to me, if I have my younger self at 20, 21, getting out of college, I teach them how to do this, absolutely you'll sustain, absolutely. But what happens is Mr. Managing Director at the time wants to give the internship or the job to his neighbor or someone who caddies for him at the country club and things <laughs> like that. But it, and again, it goes back to my access. So I think the change for me is as we continue to evolve in where we are in 2021, being able to be accessible to the youth and teach them like, hey, listen, this is what you are capable of doing. Please don't be intimidated. If you're interested in it, please step forward. So that's my stance. Wow. Yeah. And I hope the, the folks listening out there could really um, grab onto the words that folks are sharing with us tonight. Um, Melissa, you have a question. I do. Um, I want to direct this question to Ms. Kim Bryan. Um, I just want to uh, speak my admiration because I wanted to get into something very similar to your field. I wanted to get into uh, music therapy um, because I feel like um, music and the arts is something that transcends everything and is able to solve a lot of problems that not a lot of people are aware of. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, what was your experience like getting started in the field? So when you were first working, when you were establishing yourself and how did that affect you or how did you being a black woman affect you in that process? Oh, okay. So um, I, I guess I have to start at the training. It was a very interesting experience for me because um, I was the only uh, black person on my training. And traditionally, therapists tend to be um, older, white, middle to upper class ladies. Not a lot of men in therapy either. Um, so it was a little bit of a, a challenge for me because we spent a lot of time together and it was really hard sometimes to articulate my feelings and point of views in, in such a vulnerable space because a lot of times I really kind of got the sense that people did not get me. <laughs> they didn't understand my point of view or where I was coming from. And there were a lot of moments where uh, there was a lot of elephants in the room. There was a lot of unspoken things. And a lot of times where I felt like we left a lot of spaces with issues not really being confronted. Um, so the, the actual process of, of going through it and studying for it was hard. Um, it was challenging being uh, the only Black person and continuing to be in those spaces for quite some time. Um, when I first came out of uh, university and I got my first job, um, I got a team lead job at a school and a lot of the clinicians who worked under me were, were, were white and from different cultures. And we worked a lot with uh, ethnic minorities. And this is one of the things which has really kind of continued to be a passion for me because in having conversations with them, I realized that 
they were working with people and they were not even prepared to really understand where people were coming from. They didn't, they didn't get it. And so they were making like lots of comments and it was really kind of heartbreaking for me because I was thinking these are people who should know better. These are people who actually go through training to be empathetic and to care and to understand about people, but they just didn't get it. And I, I felt very passionate about that. And so I kind of went into this whole um, thing about trying to educate my colleagues about cultural competency, because I felt like um, if you're working with people, you have to at least make the effort to, to understand. And so kind of branching out from that, I kind of thought, well, as, as a person of color, I understand some of the challenges that we face. I don't understand all because it differs from culture to culture. So we are always continuously learning and adapting, but at least I can be open to that. You know, I can, I can share my experiences. I know, I feel like I know what some of what we need. I know how to relate to another person of color and I don't want to have to struggle through these difficult challenges because I myself had to go through therapy as part of my process. And it was really um, challenging for me because I felt so disrespected a lot of times just by the, the idea that people didn't take the, the opportunity to kind of investigate or to learn. So moving on from that, as you get started, you'll find that there are not a lot of us in therapy spaces. And culturally, a lot of us don't understand or don't see the value of working mental health. I think it's changing now, especially from everything that's been happening. I think we're becoming more aware that a lot of where we're at has a lot to do with our history and our past and how much it has impacted us. And we're learning that we have to be able to process that in order to, to be better. And not better just as in better achievers, but better as a holistic kind of outlook because we are achievers. This is how we learn. We learn we have to achieve in order to be, but the achievement does not all, always look at how we are in our mental health, in, in terms of how are we coping, how are we managing relationships, how are we managing anger, how are we relating to ourselves with each other in society, how are we dealing with conflicts and things like that. Um, so in terms of developing that, it's been difficult, but I find that more persons of color are becoming therapists and we're, we're building a network and we're learning that we have a lot of um, resources amongst ourselves and we have a lot of um, value that we can share with each other. Um, we're also learning that it's okay to kind of stand up and say, this isn't working for me. You're not training us in a way that is helpful. And I know a lot of persons have also been saying that the education you give us is not really relevant 
to us, it's actually kind of shaped for a Eurocentric kind of way of thinking. It, it doesn't it doesn't relate to us. So part of that is also building research and and doing our own thing. I know it takes time. Somebody said that it takes time. It's not like an overnight thing. Um, so we kind of learn into kind of collaborate, build resources, encourage other people who are interested in it to kind of build on what we have and to develop as, as a people together. And I think that that is really where I am at now in terms of my profession. It's been a journey, it's been hard, but I think throughout the years, there've been more and more people becoming interested. We've made better networks. We've learned that we had a voice. We've learned to build our voice together as a community of creative art therapists. And we're getting somewhere. So especially in the, in the Caribbean and in the United States, because there's a huge network here as well. Yeah. Does that answer oh, your question? I, I want yeah, I'm sure. I'm sorry. Yes, it does. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I want you guys to embrace your your leadership, though. I want you guys to understand that your reach as leaders within your position is greater and farther than you could ever believe, right? Um, 20 years, 15 years from now, kids who are watching this, I mean, we're 2,100 kids in our, in our scholars in our, in our, in our school not to mention the community who was, who was watching this as well. So you would have inspired with your leadership and your passion, um, maybe that kid that didn't think that they could be something to, to become something. And I'm gonna really quickly hit um, every single one of you on this question. And it's a, it's a reality for us, right? Every single um, one of your occupations has an alignment with our, with what we do as educators, what I do as a school leader, um, what um, Ms. Jones does as a teacher, what uh, Ms. Walls does as a guidance counselor, uh, what Mr. Ferrer Douglas on here does as a chemistry teacher. Um, it, it, you hit on all those things, but as, as a school, as an educator, as someone who really is passionate about my kids doing great and accomplishing great things, um, what could schools do better to prepare them to be in your shoes? And I, I think that's, that's something that we, we can't always throw questions at people without really evaluating ourselves. So I'm going to start with Miss um, Adrian. What could we do at EHS to prepare our students to be in your position? Um, so, I, so last night, um, for example, I hosted a uh, financial empowerment night. Um, it's part of my Black History Month series event. And surprisingly, we had a young high school student on it. And she was so interested in what we were talking about. And we were talking about home ownership, uh, credit scores, credit cards, debt, um, small business stuff. Like we were talking about all that. And she was so interested. And it was like, ah, I remember I never got that in high school, right? Like, I, I don't remember any of those type of conversations. Um, and for her, when I asked her about it, she said, girly, it was just inspiring to see two black people because he works in New York at uh, Bank of America. And she was like, it was just inspiring to see two black people share their stories uh, from their twenties, cause I'm 31 and to relate to them. And I was like, you know, I never had that in high school. And so 
I don't know if you guys are doing this, Corey, Mr. McCarthy. And um, I always say like, I would love to mentor and be there for young people in Everett. And so I think connecting to someone is crucially important because I know a couple of us have spoken about it that uh, we didn't see people like us growing up and I definitely did it in Everett. And so I think it's inspiring if they do see more of us and be able to talk to us and ask us questions. Charles? Yeah, um, I would say more of this. Um, I am involved in something called um, Beyond Academia. It's something similar to this. Um, I think um, Harvard you know, organizes this. Um, I'm a senior scientist, but I will tell you on my resume, this is like top on my accomplishments, you know, like mentorship, you know, giving all these kids access, you know, um, talking to them, you know, shaping their career, you know, I am in Beyond Academia, you talk to high school kids who tell you they want to be neuro, neuroscientists, and you're like, what? Like, at that age, like, I never thought of that, but you know, here I am mentoring kids who want to go to NASA, you know, who want to go to space, who want to do neuro neurosurgery and things like that. So I think stuff like this, I'm actually hoping to take stuff like this back to Africa and create, you know, things like this. And, and you know, one thing COVID has taught us is, you know, zip code means nothing. I could be here in Boston and run a mentorship program right there in Lagos, Africa, and, you know, and it would be one hour and everybody would get what they want and we would go to bed and, you know, the next day we would have it again. So, you know, stuff like this, you know, inspires me and I'm glad to be a part of it. And I hope we can have, you know, more of this. And I think this would be a way where people like us could, you know, add value to these kids. Excellent, Thanks. excellent. And, and, and build that network, right? I 100% sure. agree. You know, um, we all want that connection that that Nigerians um, have and, and Haitians have and, and, and Bajans have because when he's speaking, I could almost see Chi like rooting for him. Like, you know, they have that, that nationalism is, is, is insane. Um, so um, um, Chi, if you could go and really talk about what can we do in, in schools? What can we give our kids so they could be in your shoes? I was trying to get some more time to think and be a little bit more, um, everybody said something so good. So, I mean, truthfully, I think um, what was said earlier, just about, you know, thinking critically and thought thoughtfully about what programs you can offer kids, either to connect them with leaders in their communities, um, or as um, was pointed out, just not in their communities, be assumed, or, or something like this, but maybe has been initiated more so like this through COVID, but could keep going beyond COVID, right? Um, something that was always said to us in our scholarship program was to whom much is given, much is expected, right? Um, and on top of that, we stand on the shoulders of giants. And I think that what everybody here is saying is come take a, take a step on my shoulder. Not that we are ourselves, consider ourselves giants, but in order you know, to help someone else be lifted up, we're, we're more than willing to lend a shoulder. And maybe it's um, more challenging to identify how to do that in different communities. But I think if a, if a school system has that in mind of how to connect to the leaders in their communities or just alumni from their schools um, to reconnect back to the students, to give them tangible examples, um, I think that that's so critical for our communities 
because when I think about it, um, like I don't really know any of the other speakers from before now, but I can envision that all of us have a network of folks that were riding along with us in our struggles that we could talk to and may not have, um, you know, that, that's maybe why everybody can be so humble is because you always had some people in your corner that you knew that were right along with you in the same mentality. So I encourage students to really surround themselves with like-mindedness um, because those will be the same people when you're on this kind of a panel talking to, uh, uh, being alum from your school and talking to students, though that's, they may be the same kids that you're in school with now, right? Um, it's just these, these things that the school can help to foster, you know, whether it's by creating cohorts of interest in certain areas um, and using this kind of new connectivity that we have, I think is a cheaper form of uh, creating forums for discussion and for interaction. So I think that's the advice I would give um, on a school, school system basis. Thank you. You know, I, I, um, <laughs> I, Ask this question to, to all of you and um and Milton, you know, what could schools do better? And Milton came to my previous school and came into school and was like, I'm gonna tell y'all what to do better. Uh, or I'm ready to listen. And um, he really took on two or three of my kids and and like he came with this bag with the sign on it, like all the technology. If you talking about this dude probably has Avengers, Avengers episode nine, a movie number nine, he, he got everything. But uh what is, what are some of the things, uh, Milton, I'm just jumping to you right now. How can we prepare our kids to sort of um, walk in your very big shoes? Well, um, I would say that I think we all kind of touched upon it. That it takes a village, right? And educators need to know that they're not alone. And, you know, I would want somebody who's teaching me to be very bold, like yourself, to be very honest with you, because, you know, my frat brother called you or whatever happened and you all brought a whole bunch of kids and I spoke at Harvard, you know, and those types of things I think are extremely important for young people to see us in action, number one, and then for teachers to know that they're not alone. And, um, you know, I'm not an educator in the school during the day, so I don't know the type of access that you all have. Um, but I think to be able to speak up to administration and say, hey, we need to find people that look like these students um, because I know that they're out there and to be able to be a champion like yourself um, that has put like a tremendous amount of effort into your work that has amassed these beautiful kings and queens on this panel right now. I mean, this right here is what needs to happen and it needs to continue to happen. So if this then spawns another teacher to say, hey, how can I get in contact with Claude or how I can in contact with Milner, whoever it may be. I think that again, right, it's that reach back and it creates that snowball effect, which then empowers and inspires our young people and also the educators. Um, for one, I know for me, technology is constantly changing, right? It every second is changing. And so I know it's also hard for teachers to also be on top of certain things because they have so many other things to do. And so for me, it's like, okay, give me some of that weight, I can hold it, you know, like give me some of that weight um, and let's do it together because it is a village and it's important that we all remember that. And I would like all educators to, to, to walk by that as well and to know that they're not alone in this. Right, I, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and thank you, thank all of you guys for your responses so far. 
I just have fond, fond memories of, of um, seeing some of you really, really just go get things that people didn't think you, you could go get. Um, and that brings me to Claude next, um, sort of share what, what, what could we, we just had a fi financial literacy um, event last week, um, the week before, and it was wildly successful. Uh, Mr. Ferrer Douglas, um, he, he conducted that, uh, he did a great job. But on your level, right, um, why is that super important? How could we get them to you? Um, well, you can reach me anytime you want. You know that, right? So I think if you're able to continue programs like this and push the city council, hi, girly, and everyone to kind of keep funding this and demand funding for it, uh, I think that's key because the, the thing about it is, and I, and I get it, and then as I don't want to be redundant to what everyone else has said, but it's not just the kids that are going to go to Harvard, right? I think you, you got to give access to the C students too, the students that are, you know, almost failing, the students that, you know, are struggling. They need it too. Uh, they need it more so, right? Because it just could be that they haven't tapped in or found the right direction or found what they really are passionate about. You know, I mean, majority of entrepreneurs in this country didn't even go to college or left college, right? College isn't for everyone. So it's not necessarily, hey, you got to go to college and do A, B, C. I have some successful guys that worked as salesmen in some of my firms that made million dollars a year, didn't go to college, but they had that business acumen. They found what they were good at. And by doing that, by training folks, to be prepared for that hard work for something next level, um, it, it just helped. And I mean, for me, overall picture, what I want for our people and for everyone is, is kind of build not just financial literacy, but financial legacy, right? So be inspired by the fact that you're gonna leave something for your kids and your kids' kids. So when you think that way and you possess the acumen and you're trained that way mentally to kind of go after it, it leaves a mark, right? And I, I want I want everyone to kind of understand, you know, that it doesn't just need to be the A students, right? It could be, I do want to talk to the D students, you know? I, I want to talk to the guys that are struggling, the guys and gals, I should say, because, because I was once one of them. I remember, I mean, look, everyone, majority of people in here, Caribbean descent. I came home, thought I was cruising, freshman year in high school. I got all C's, I'm happy, because I got to chill. My mother whipped my ass, excuse my language. <laughs> what are you doing with all C's? So I had to straighten out. But in, in, in that, it's a different method for me. It just triggered something. All right, I got to do it, right? But for some, they don't have someone home checking them, pushing them, pushing them. So I think we also have to keep the mindset as we want to focus on some of the kids that aren't going to get scholarships because there's still room and there's still time and there's still opportunity for, for them all. Thank you. Um, I've seen your journey, man. And I appreciate what you have done, you've done for me as well. There were times where we didn't, we didn't have much, but it felt like we had it all. Um, Kim? Well, I, I, I think I'm gonna repeat most of what everybody already said <laughs> because I absolutely believe in mentorship. Um, the reason is a lot of people don't have someone to say, hey, these, these are the possibilities. These are the opportunities out there. This is what I've been through. 
this is what it could look like and, and to continuously encourage and give ideas. And I think that that is an important part of any program. Um, I know it's not always possible, um, but I think setting up um, resources or networks where children have the uh, opportunity to access things that they're interested in or passionate about would be very helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, we as educators, you know, I always tell people, and we have you know, Ms. Jones and um, Ms. Walls and Cortland, in many cases, we just always talk about like getting people to understand what this journey is like for our kids. And, but then getting people to understand that we're like telling the truth, like it is difficult. Um, but the beauty of what you guys are doing and showing us tonight is that there's a path, right? And we are just trying to, everybody's like off the rails right now, but we're, you know, we've, we've learned to multitask. We've learned to, to really, really find our way and find our path. Miss Adrian is on the student, on the, on the city council right now, as we speak, going back and forth. I hope I didn't get her in trouble for that. And that's real because that speaks to a dedication her dedication um, to, to our, our students, her community as well. Um, so we're gonna take a couple more questions and then we'll, we'll, we'll close out because I know you guys has li have lives, lives to change and, and, <laughs> and lives to, to tend to. So, uh, and Lori? Right, give me a second. I'm trying to go somewhere quiet so you guys can hear me properly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's all right. So yeah, oh. go ahead, you ready? Right. Okay. Well, I just wanted to say that I completely agree with the mentorship because I actually did a program where I was being mentored and um, a lot of students don't know what they want to be, but if they have the right mentorship and they have the right like ideas and they um, they have somebody focusing on them and only them, they, they can know what they want to do. And I, I really believe in that. And that program was so good for me. Like now so many doors are open to me, like in the medical field, because I do want to be in the medical field because of mentorship and because she had experience as well. And so I'm a firm believer in that. And I really think we should do that. It would be great. And the question I have is for Claude, hopefully I said your name right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I love your process. I'm so inspired by the process and um, you're a Haitian American, right? I am. Uh, yeah, I am also a Haitian American and I am a firm believer in giving back to your community and you are, you've given back to Haiti, you actually build a school. And I was actually really inspired about that because I actually wanted to do something similar to that. I actually wanted to build hospitals in Haiti and clinics. And I just wanted to know how the process was like and how did you actually um, build the schools? And I, yeah, I just want to know the process so like I could get an idea of what I can do, you know? Yeah, yeah that's all. I mean I'll start high level. And after this, Corey will get you and I in touch with each other. But um, man, if, if you think of Haiti, most know it as, you know, the poorest country in the Western hemisphere, but our people are extremely strong. So how that process started for us after the 2010 earthquake, uh, me and a couple of our friends went down there. Uh, at the time I was working at I had just left Bear Stearns and one of my buddies was working at Goldman Sachs. And so we went down there cause we just wanted to help, just anything. And what we saw down there just broke our hearts, right? You had everyone claiming that they're trying to help but no one was getting in touch with the people, right? In general, 
um, just trying to get food, water, and everything. Um, but our people are resilient. Um, so fast forward a few years, we become more successful at our jobs. Um, my friend Rubens, his family owned land. So what we did, we pitched in and said, you know what, why don't we buy your, your parents, your grandfather's land? And we try to build a school here. And the mission was this, um, and you know, all poor nations, I'm not just gonna say Haiti, all poor nations, um, there is some corruption when you involve politics, right? And even wealthy nations, as you know, and we live here in the US, again, girly, no, no offense or anything like that, but it's just, it's tough to have people trust the politicians when you're trying to do something good and grassroots. So essentially, again, with the paying it forward, I was been very blessed to be, to have a pretty good career so far and still thriving. And we put our money together and through donations after donations, it took seven years, a couple of hurricanes after that, Hurricane Matthew set us back to, um, and then we opened the school September of 2017. And, you know, you just walk with it, right? You know, and the Bible says, walk by faith, not by sight. We just kept doing it and doing it and had faith in it. Uh, we had many people bless us with donations and people traveled down there with us, putting up solar lights, just digging land. And the thing about the effort was we employed everybody from the community. So everyone that helped build that school, everyone that helped build the playground was money that we put back into the local community. No outsiders came in, nothing like that. And we used no political clout whatsoever because we didn't wanna owe anyone any favors once the school got up and running. Um, so fast forward, here we are. But it was a learning process throughout the entire thing. You guys are educators, so you know. Uh, me, I'm, I'm a finance guy, but I do love to teach. I'm passionate about it. Um, you know, we had kids that were nonverbal. <laughs> we didn't know how that was going to happen. And you're talking about kids that their only meals were coming to school because we feed them twice a day. So especially when COVID hits, it's a whole different atmosphere. And we're not charging anyone anything. It's not a lottery. We just pick the kids from the local community and we're up to 110 kids now. And we just kind of grow the effort. I mean, the name of the school is Bati. So in Creole, Bati means to build, right? And when you see our logo, it's a pencil point and we want to teach everyone that comes in there and just kind of grow. So um, I don't know, there's more I can go on and I don't want to take everyone's time. So Lori, you and I will we'll connect and we'll talk. And I'll, Corey, you can send a link to the school, the IG page, it's batischool.org. You guys take a look at it, the progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Uh, you know, each one of you is like, I think the audience is learning that each one of you guys is your own, <laughs> is your own superhero in a sense. It's our own superheroes in a sense that we could spend like days, like, talking about you guys and maybe that's something that we should do next year when we look at our super improving our very robust Black History Month um, programming. But keep in mind as you talk to your people that this is not a Black History Month thing. This is just an awareness. You know, we live it, we create it, we cultivate it, we develop it and we turn it into action and we turn it into outcomes. And I like in a really unapologetic way and like, unafraid, not afraid to like put my job on the line for these kids type of way. So, and that's, and that's how we are rolling because that's the best way to 
that's the best way to get the message across. That's the only time people really understand us, right? Um, so I appreciate that. So in closing, uh, and you know, in closing, uh, I do want to thank everyone. I, but I'm going to let you guys really quick. If you don't want to answer this question, you could actually tell us. You could answer the sub question. So the thing is, I want you to get on your. So I, when I call on you, just really quick, you talk. You talk about something on your soapbox, like something great that's happening that you're doing, or you could say what you love about what, uh, what your occupation is the most. So you could, you know, you could whether, for example, Claude, you could talk about your amazing school, but, or you could just sort of talk about, you know, what you love about your job and being you the most. So uh, we'll go with Chi from there. <laughs> yep, I called on you first. You was ready the last time. You was trying to act like you weren't, but what do you love about your job? And we didn't really, I, I, I stayed off of you a little bit because I know, I know the business you're in. So I, we're, we good, we good. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I love the concept of translational science, meaning you take something out of nothing and you create something for people. Um, and that's what our company does every day. Most exciting is um, how quickly we were able to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic and create uh, antibody therapeutics for it. So it's super exciting for me to be in a space where I can learn from that kind of um, talent and excellence in, in working towards you know, medicine for people. And at the same time, um, though I, I would prefer there was more uh, folks that look like me at my company, I love that I'm able to be on a soapbox and encourage and, and kind of um, demand actually that folks really think more critically about being diverse, being um, inclusive and being equitable at our company. Thank you for that. Always, always great um, having you here. Um, Charles. And thank you. Yeah. Um, um, for me, it would be, you know, just the idea of um, having the opportunity to, able, to be able to help the company I work for, Takeda, to explain, um, to characterize the drug we make. You know, when you go to the FDA, you don't just tell the FDA, this is a drug for cancer. You have to break it down to the FDA, you know, like tell them every single details. So I'm just glad to be a part of a team, you know, of people who do this kind of work and talk to the FDA. And, you know, you have patients waiting on the other line. Like we've had patients, you know, come over to us, had, we've had seminars where people have told us like, this drug cured me of cancer, of, you know, HIV, of this. And, you know, you're just sitting there like, I thought this was just a chemical in the lab. And so, you know, I love science, but, you know, um, the reality of science is what, you know, um, inspires me where, you know, their patients, you know, like when COVID started, I thought, you know, we're just going to stay at home. But we got this email saying, hey, you're an essential worker, even though there's COVID, there are people dying of cancer, people dying of HIV, like you need to go to the lab. And, you know, I just jumped up and I'm like, yeah, I'm an, ex I'm an essential worker. So stuff like that is what, you know, keeps me going with um, this kind of um, career that I'm on. And I just thank God for, you know, putting me in this right place. Talk about waking up and just be like, hey, I'm gonna just go save the world today. We just, just go save, we just go save 100,000 people today. Thank you, Charles, we appreciate that. Um, uh, Ms. Adrian. Okay, sorry. Um, I, you know, I think the best thing um, about 
like being a city councilor um, and especially not caring what anyone has to tell me what to do is that I get to wake up and really I could see the changes and the impact I have like on residents and students like I'll never forget when I had Congresswoman um, Ayanna Presley at one of my events and a little black girl went up to the front and instead of talking to Ayanna spoke to me and said you inspire me because you care. And I think for me, that was just so touching because I don't do this for title. I don't do this for recognition, but it's literally just to inspire others to want to do this type of work because I don't get paid a lot. I work long hours and I work multiple jobs, but I know that I'm really making a difference. So thank you. 100% and we feel, and we feel it. Uh, we feel it. Claude? Um. I don't know, there are many things, but I'd say like maybe my top two, um, not just having a seat at the table. I think there was, there was for a long time when talking to clients uh, via phone and then finally getting to meet them and they're like, oh, I didn't know you were black, right? <laughs> and oh, you really are real. Like, I know what I'm talking about. Somebody um, said that to me today. Somebody called me and was like, hey, you're a black guy? I was right. like, you're, stuff like that never ceases to amaze me still. And um. Believe it or not, like sometimes it's our folks doing the blocking too. I remember first time coming out, <laughs> I reached out to a gentleman, I'm not gonna say his name, but um, he literally told me, he's like, bro, I mean, I like your resume and all, but I'm trying to be the only black dude in here. <laughs> literally said that to me and I was like in shock, but in the event, I I'm looking to change that and I'm changing that. So that attitude ain't, ain't, ain't for me, right? Uh, so I think, one of the things I aspire to for all the young people coming up or even young, old, whatever, anyone that wants access to this business, I'm happy to share my growth and my knowledge to everybody, you know what I mean? Because I don't, I, I don't feel like, um, like I have to be threatened by my brother doing well, my sister doing well, that's not in my DNA. So um, those are the two major things that I'm, I'm able to be very proud of now that I'm here to be able to just kind of have a pretty strong reach, so. Thank you, um, for sure. I was that definitely, I've, I've, I've seen it, witnessed it. Kim? Well, I'm passionate about working with communities and people. And um, so my goal really is to work on a model for trauma-informed um, care and looking towards community healing using the art therapy and building on research with a focus on generational trauma. And that is my passion. Thank you. And finally, Milton. You, uh, I'm gonna peel back the layers. I know we've all been talking about our professional journeys. I wanna get into the, on the concrete a little bit. Um, and just say um, that, you know, I am a survivor. We all are survivors. Uh, my mother was murdered when I was 18 months. Dad was a rolling stone, lost a lot of friends to drug violence, gang violence. And that is a real thing. Um, but um, still we rise. And again, it's that village, as I talked about before, that will allow us to continue to be nurtured and inspired. Um, and something that I'm going to ask all the young people on the call, and I think Claude mentioned this earlier, I mentioned your name a lot, Claude, but um, is I want everybody on this call 
these young people on this call to make sure they tell people about this moment that they're in right now, right? And to the friend that they see tomorrow or they talk to on the phone or on Snap or whatever, like, hey, I just saw a powerful group of people that look like me and that it can be done despite of uh, or the challenges that, that I might face. And so, yes, our professional journeys have been very hard. They've been very fruitful and we're all inspired by them. But I know there's another journey that it took us to get here that took us um, some time to get here. And we've all faced certain things. And I just want, you know, these young people to know that no matter what they face, that you can overcome it. Um, it is something that is yours once again. And so keep believing in yourselves, keep striving, reach out as much as possible. Um, mental health, again, we talked about that briefly, is a thing. And I know I'm experiencing it now through COVID and through loss, I'm experiencing it. So mental health is important. So I also want to throw that out there to the young people as well, to seek help and to know that you're not alone. Thank you so much. Um, it's key, you know, as an educator, speaking for educators, we understand that the work that we're doing with kids, especially kids of color, underserved, underrepresented, um, many living in poverty that, you know, this work is justice. Like it's truly justice compounded with being rocket science. It is true rocket science to try mm -hmm. to figure out hundreds and upon hundreds, possibly thousands of kids. But that's what we're in this business for. Um, so as we wrap up, I wanna go, we're gonna, I'll save my thanks for last, but I'm gonna go to Melissa right now. Melissa, um, close us out. Um, so I think I just want to say thank you so much for all of the great educators and, you know, um, people who look like me who are, you know, big dogs in, in the fields that they're in right now. It really gives me a lot of hope and it, um, it, it, it almost pushes me to not be afraid of being confident in myself, especially in the field that I want to go to as, you know, um, a, a growing in intellectual black woman, you know, with, with, um, goals and ambitions that have been pushed down by, you know, my community and like people who I'm supposed to look up to. Um, so again, I just want to say thank you. I will be reaching out to some of you because I'm very interested in, you know, enriching myself and other things like that. So um, thank you for your time. And this was great. This was real. This was dope. I'm happy that we were able to share a lot of this with other people. And Laurie? All right, well, it's kind of loud, but I just wanted to say thank you so, so much. And I just wanted to stress how important representation matters. And then we see it here. And I'm glad, I really hope that um, other students in our school could see this because not a lot of people know other um, fields and other places that they could go and like be themselves, you know? And so I'm just really, really grateful for tonight. And I wish that I wasn't at work so I could actually like sit down and listen to you guys like clearly. But um, I will be, re like Melissa said, I'll be reaching out to some of you guys. And I am so interested and so inspired by each and every one of you. And thank you. Thank you so much for opening our eyes. And I really hope that we do another thing, something similar to this. And yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> How um, powerful is this sister right here? I'm sorry. She's <laughs> at work and she's participating. My hat, like, blessings to you, queen. Like, seriously. Yeah, she, yeah, they, they. These kids are, are getting. Oh, Miss um, Adrian, did we get you to close? Because I know you're double, double. You're. Did we get you to close? 
Oh, what what am I saying? It, no, we're talking about um, what you love about your job the most. Did you did I cover you there? Yeah, I'm done. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, Mister Mister Ferrer Douglas is one of our chemistry teachers. He's gonna he's gonna um, he's also the son of a Black Panther. Um, could you sort of get? I mean, he hates when I say that, but hey, I'm not a son of a Black Panther. I'm a son of a of a Bayesian from Barbados. Uh, so like, uh, and you know, especially with the with the, a little bit of a movement and groundswell happening right now. Uh, what is some of your feedback on tonight uh, with some of these great folks we have here? I mean, we're going to let you guys go shortly. Um, you know, I, uh, first of all, thank you for uh, coming out tonight. You know, I, I feel like, you know, to me, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people aren't missing or, or they're missing these kind of things. Um, as you talk to like Nesby and other individuals, I think one of the things, uh, you know, me, I was a, I, I worked as a researcher and a quality assurance technician before I became a teacher. And, you know, one of the common things I continue to have or see in, in, the, in, the, in, in, the, in the stories is the fact that we're the only ones in those spaces. Um, you talk to tons and tons of different people. And, you know, for me, uh, I know I'm supposed to close out. I don't want to close out on a question, but, you know, to me, I always try to ask myself, like, how come more you know, people of color, Black Latinos are not getting this opportunity, not getting these spaces, not getting these things. And how do we enrich more, you know, individuals to choose this path? Um, you know, I, I, I one of the things that was always impressionable for me is when Jizza um, from Wu-Tang Clan came out with his book and, and had the talk about science genius and how you know, he wanted to be a scientist, right? He wanted to do that, but something pushed him away from it. You know, something that through his upbringing, through the community, through um, education, his pathway, right? How many of our young, you know, black and brown young men and women are getting pushed away from these, you know, opportunities? And how do we bring them to, 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 to fold? And I continue to think about that, um, you know, in my own journey and how, you know, there wasn't that. Um, that, like I said, that's not a, uh, a, a thing because I'm supposed to close, but... Um, you know, that is to me one of the things that I hope this type of forum can add to that momentum to hopefully help these young people out here know that there is a pathway. And not only that, is that there's a lot of amazing individuals who are willing to help you get to that place. You know, one of the things I always try to uh, talk to uh, in the education program that I want uh, work with is young people. You know, some of you guys said that you actually are going to reach out to them. What I would ask you is make sure that you hold yourself to that accountability and actually do it. I have a, a lot of people who go to these and go like, I'm going to reach out to them. And then I go like, he totally told you, he, he said you can hit him up. He said that to you. I didn't say that. He said that. How many of you are actually going to take that next step? and actually reach out, go like, hey, can I get the, the email and just send him something? You'd be surprised, you know, it may not, he may not hit back, hit you back like the next day, but man, that's how you start networking. That's how you start generating that momentum to get where you wanna be. And I wanna push young people to stop being polite. I promise you all these other individuals who are in this room, other people who you don't even know, they want you to reach out to them. That's what they want you to do. I would love it if an individual came out and was like, yo, you haven't been giving me the attention I need and I'm trying to be something and I need you to put that there. And I think that a lot of um, people, you know, a lot of young people are too polite to the individuals who can help them. And so I would push young people to please, please, please seek out those opportunities and then 
you know, act on them because there's a lot of people who are in your corner. Thank you for that, 100%. Um, Ms. Jones? Um, I just wanna thank you all again um, for taking the time. Um, uh, there's really nothing more that I can say that hasn't already been said. So I'm gonna keep it short and sweet, but thank you all for taking the time out of your day. Walls. Um, so of course, yeah, thank you all for coming tonight. Um, but I just wanna say, I think you guys have all really affirmed for me that I love my job and that I'm very happy being a counselor. Um, each of you guys have touched on how important mentorship is and the fact that I'm in a position to actually build those connections and to create that network for my students um, is huge. And like this conversation tonight is the start of that. And I really wanna build on that. And I'm very happy to have had a chance to speak with all of you guys. And I hope that we can continue this moving forward. But You've affirmed that for me. Like, I love my job and I want to do more and I need to do more. So thank you all for that tonight. Okay, so I'm gonna, um, I want to thank you guys for really um, jumping on board and supporting us, um, supporting our students. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for thinking of us. I hope this is something that you guys continue to do, whether it's with every high school or with other kids you, you come encounter uh, with. Um, I hope it gives you the, the, the confidence because it's still a lot of confidence that you need to talk to kids um, and to really embrace them. And, um, and ultimately I'm gonna leave um, and end this conversation with an image um, of what I believe is, is our kids and, our, and in many respects, black kids and kids of color who, who are unheralded, right? And this is how I often tell people, this is what our kids look like. These are our superheroes and uh, they all got a talent and, we got, we got, it's our job to really bring it out of them. So I will leave you guys with that. Thank you everyone for coming out um, and supporting. Um, this has been a, a great experience and I hope you guys, I wish you guys the best of your jobs. And you know, I don't know how much that we could do for you guys at Everett High School, but whatever you need from us, uh, you let us know. So uh, for the folks out there watching, thank you for tuning in um, and, and sharing this experience with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Have a great rest of your night. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I'll be in touch. I'll let me.